One of the things that we're hoping happens during this, um, this series that we're calling True North is that you will learn to think theologically. You will learn to think biblically. You will learn to, to see an issue in culture and then understand it and think about it and determine your response or your course of action in the biblical framework of God's Word. Now, it is true there are a lot of things that are part of our culture that aren't in the Bible. Uh, Facebook is not in the Bible. Uh, Twitter is not in the Bible. But there are things about how you are to act regardless of the context that do instruct us. So that's why we're trying to help you learn to think biblically and learn to think uh, uh, theologically, as you face the, the, uh, some of the challenges that our, that our culture is now uh, opening up for us. And sometimes we are smarter than we are wise. Uh, that is, we, we can do something, but we're just not sure that it may be the smartest thing to do uh, in, in certain cases. Uh, you know, for, for one thing, all of us have this dream of living without limits, of not having the limits of time, of not having the limits of space, of being able to go wherever we want to, just kind of free-floating through life. Uh, you know, we have been experimenting for several years about what it does to the human body when you float. It's called space travel. And one of the things that is limiting our ability to travel as far as we want to go in space is our bodies physically can't handle it. Uh, our body is designed to, to live within gravity. Our bones need gravity. Our muscles need gravity. Our digestive system need gravity. Your inner ear needs gravity. So you can tell what's up, what's down, so you can keep your balance. All of our, all of our biological systems are designed to work within the limits and count on the structure of gravity. So if you allow astronauts to stay too long in space, they lose bone density. Uh, the digestive systems don't work as well as they would like them to. They lose muscle mass. Do you know you have to work out two or three hours a day while you're in space just so you don't lose muscle mass? Some of you haven't worked out two or three hours this year. <laughs> Emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, we have the same kind of uh, a fantasy, don't we? Oh, I would love just to be able to live without limits. But you weren't designed to live without limits. It doesn't go well with us when we live without limits. As Paul reminds us in the first chapter of his letter to the Romans. Stand with me in honor of God's Word. Verse 18. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen ever since creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are now without excuse. 
For they know they knew God. For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore God delivered them over to the desires of their heart, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve what has been created instead of the Creator who is to be praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for an unnatural ones. Their men in the same way also left natural sexual relations with women and, and were inflamed with their lust one for another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they did not do what is right. And they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, arrogance, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And although they know God's just sentence, those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but applaud those who practice them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is to be praised forever. Amen. This is God's Word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Bring our focus back to you. Place yourself firmly in the center of our lives that the gravity of your grace may hold all of our lives in their proper order. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Now remember, Rome did not know Paul. Paul was most likely in Corinth on his way to Jerusalem with the collection for the saints. There was a a famine in Jerusalem, so Paul was working among the Gentile churches. Let's take a a, a collection and we'll take it to the church in Jerusalem, and that way we can symbolically celebrate the unity of brothers and sisters in Christ, both Gentile and Jewish. Now, we know that Paul was arrested in, in Jerusalem and started his way back to Rome, not as a prophet, but as a prisoner that story takes a different turn. But Paul is preparing after he delivers uh, the the collection of the saints in Jerusalem. He wants to come back to Rome. He wants to stay there and preach for a while, build that church up, and and get their support for, uh, for his continuing ministry on into southern Europe. So to introduce himself, he writes this letter. This is who I am. This is who my calling. And this is the gospel that I preach. Now, I tell you all the time that you want him to, to, to write the letter, letter literally, literally. You want him to go point A, sub point one, sub point two, point B, sub point one, sub point two. And some of you have had the task of outlining Romans and it makes you crazy because he doesn't, he doesn't write like that. He writes just like he talks. Okay, now here's how this letter goes. 
He introduces himself. He celebrates the church. This is who I am. Uh, I've heard about you, and I celebrate you. Listen, I want you to know, verses 17 and 18, I am under obligation, a divine obligation to preach because I'm not ashamed of the gospel before, because I know it is the power of salvation for God to those who believe. Now, that's halfway through chapter 1. I can't help but preach. Anytime Paul got a chance, he preached. We know this to be true. Why? Because when he's put on trial before Festus and Felix and Agrippa, Paul never mounts a legal defense. He never says, I'm not guilty and here's why. I didn't break any of these laws. What does he do? He preaches a sermon beginning with his testimony to the point that Agrippa tells him, do you expect me to become a Christian? Paul did everything in that moment but offer an invitation. I have to preach. It was all he did. Every chance he had, he preached. Now, he switches in the middle of chapter 1. This is why I have to preach. Why? Because people are messed up. That's why. They chose to worship what was created rather than the Creator God, and because of that, the li their lives have spun out of control. Now, this is the passage of Scripture where we usually bang on those who have chosen alternative lifestyles. Okay? And we usually, when you hear this passage, everybody kind of covers up because we're ready for some theological uh, artillery here, and you expect me to just blow people out of the pew. And, and, and then you want to go home and say, well, that was a good sermon. I feel awful. <laughs> okay? That's not what happens. Okay? That's not what this passage says. Look at all that he says. When people chose to worship what was created rather than the God who created, their lives begin to spin out of control. Now, the way you are created, your sexual wiring and your spiritual wiring run really close together in your life. If there's a short in one, there'll be a short in the other. It'll short out the other. If you have a short in your spiritual life, it'll short out your sexuality. If you have a short in your sexuality, it will short out your spirituality. Okay? People will come and say, I have a problem with God. I don't know if I believe in God anymore. And we'll unpack that. I'll work with them a little bit. And then here's the story I will hear. I'm living with my girlfriend and I don't want to feel bad about it. Shorten your sexuality, shorts out your spirituality. Okay? Paul says when you short out your spirituality, it shows itself in all of this confusion in our sexuality. Why? Because we are looking for that spiritual replacement of God. I'm looking for someone, I'm looking for some moment, I'm looking for something that can make me feel as alive, as loved, as sex does. 
the problem with the sexuality is it is momentary. And like any addiction, it takes more and more to get you to the same high. It takes greater and greater experiments to get you to the same high. Short out the spirituality. In the first place it shows is sexuality. But that's not the only place it shows, is it? You don't ever hear the second part of this chapter preached, do you? You don't ever hear a Baptist preacher thunder down on gossip. It's right here. It's in the same paragraph as a sexual immorality. Gossip, envy. And if you want to tell something that's tearing our nation apart, it is not sexuality, it is the gossip and the hateful speech of social media. And you follow people on social media because they are hateful. Because they're entertaining in the way that they destroy other people. That's what he's talking about. Because you're so insecure in who you are, the only way you can deal with that is by tearing somebody else down. See, when you get the short in your spirituality, it shorts out all of your relationships. Not only your relationship with your husband and your wife, your partners, significant other, it shorts out your relationship with neighbor. Because I tell you this all the time, another word for glory is weight. With weight comes mass. With mass comes gravity. And the thing that the Scripture teaches us over and over again, that only God and God alone has the weight, the glory, the spiritual mass to be in the center of your life, only He has the gravity that can hold everything in its proper order. If you put anything or anybody in the center of your life, if you worship what is created rather than the Creator, your life spins out of control. Put anything in there, anybody. Because the biblical teaching is anything that gets in the way of God being in the center of your life is idolatry. Which means you cannot fulfill anything that God has for you in your life in any of your relationships because He's not at the center. Do you remember what it was supposed to be like? At the end of chapter 2 in Genesis, at the very, very beginning, open your Bibles to the book of Genesis. It's not hard to find. It's the first book. It's not hard to find because it's the second chapter. There's chapter 1, then there's chapter 2. The end paragraph is... This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and the two become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked. Both Adam and Eve were naked, and yet they felt no shame. You know, the funny part of this passage is this was a patriarchal society. Okay, that is, men had all the rights, women had very few rights. But the biblical instruction is that men will leave home. You'd expect for it to be the other way around. Women will leave their home and join the man. 
But even then, this is the second chapter of Genesis. We're trying to get boys out of their mom and dad's basement. <laughs> now, if you're like me, you spend way too much time in church and you're flipping through the Bible trying to find funny things. You found this verse because it had the word naked in it. And when you're 12 and 13, there's nothing funnier than the word naked. So you would punch your buddy next to you, you'd point to the word, he'd laugh, he'd point to the word, they'd laugh, the whole row would be laughing, and it was just the word naked. Now I'm older. And I look at that passage and I sigh. What would we give to have a marriage like that? No secrets. No games. This is who I am. This is who you are. And we're committed to be together, warts and all. What would you give for that? That was God's original intention. And anything other than that is sin. That's why when people ask us about how we stand on marriage, my answer is always, we teach, we support, we encourage Christ-centered marriages. Christ-centered marriages. A committed husband who is committed to Christ shows his commitment to Christ by the way he is committed to his wife. A committed wife, committed to Christ, who shows her relationship with Jesus Christ and her commitment to Christ by her commitment to her husband. Anything other than that is sin. Which means a lot of us that would brag that we have a heterosexual marriage still fail to have a Christ-centered marriage. And it's the same sin. That's why Paul preached. Because when you short out the spiritual wiring, it shorts out everything else. I know I don't have a lot in common with Paul. But I do have this in common with him. I preach for the same reason. I'm older now. I've seen too much of life. And I've seen too many of my friends who chose to worship what was created rather than the Creator. And I have seen the hell it brings in their lives. I used to be more polite about it. Now I'm not. Hear me. The worst thing in the world is for God to let you go. 
when he keeps asking and he keeps reaching for you and he keeps seeking you out and you keep saying no and you keep saying no and you keep saying no until the time when God will take your answer. And let you go. To a life that doesn't have limits. And you'll float away. You'll grab whatever you can grab trying to give your life meaning, whether it is an inappropriate sexual relationship, whether it is tearing somebody else down, whether it is hate, envy, murder, whatever, to try to prove to someone else that you are somebody, but God will have let you go. What's left? When God lets you go. That's why Paul preached. It's why I preach. I don't know how many more days you have. I don't know how many more days I have. I don't know how many more chances you have. I know you have this chance, this moment. To worship the one who created. To place the God who made you and all that you see and know. Who loved his creation including you so much that he gave his own life for it. And you have the chance now to put him in the center of your life. And when you do, everything else will find its place. That's why Paul preached. That's why I preach. Because we don't know how many more chances you have, but we know you have this one. And there's nothing worse than when God lets you go. Let's pray together. I'm not going to do anything to embarrass you or put you on the spot, but you know, I want you to give some serious thought to your life. Some of you are thinking that God is not paying attention, and He is. Some of you are thinking you got away with it, but you didn't. This is the time to confess. This is the time to get that thing right. This is a time to get God in the center of your life. Our counselors are making their way to the table now, right in front of a big sign says, next step. They want to continue this conversation. Do not leave unless you have finished it. Perhaps it's as simple as coming part of Brentwood Baptist Church. However, the Lord is reaching to you now. Do not take this moment for granted. Receive now his gift of grace. Put him in the center of your life 
and everything else would find its place. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray now the choices we make are exactly what you want.